All right, we're recapping a Syracuse victory on this Thursday Locked on Syracuse podcast. Doesn't feel like a win, maybe, for some fans, but you'll take it where you can get it, especially the way that the beginning of this season sort of transpired. We'll break down the win. Also, this is the last non-conference game of the year, at least so far on the schedule. Who knows how the entirety of college basketball is going to play out this season, but as of now, last non-conference game. So what are we going to do? We're going to hand out some non-conference grades from what we saw from the Orange and their players through this first little chunk of the season. All that's coming up on the Locked on Syracuse podcast. You are Locked on Syracuse, your daily podcast on the Syracuse Orange, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome on in. This is the Locked on Syracuse podcast. I'm Tyler Aki, joined by Tim Leonard. Today, we're here with you every single weekday on the show, Monday through Friday. Only place to get daily Locked on Syracuse podcast. Only place to get daily Syracuse podcasts as well. Check us out on Twitter at LO underscore Syracuse. And thank you for making us your first listen every single day. Subscribe to us wherever you get your shows, whether it's Apple, whether it's Spotify, whether it's the Odyssey app, or even better, make it YouTube. Subscribe to us on YouTube as well. You can see us, comment along with us as well. We appreciate all your feedback and support on the YouTube channel as well. Go check that out. Today's episode is brought to you by NetSuite. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system to power your growth. Head to netsuite.com slash locked on NCAA for special end of year financing on the number one financial system for growing businesses. All right, we'll start with Cornell because uh, this was one of those games I, I kind of joked about it on our Twitter account, and you certainly will relate to this as a golfer yourself. This is one of those games where you're thankful that they don't have pictures on the scorecard, right? Because 12-point yeah. victory feels good. You were in control most of the game. You never really felt like you were going to lose per se, but it certainly felt dicey at points. You definitely didn't feel as comfortable as maybe you should have felt, but you wrote an 80 on the scorecard, but in reality, it felt more like a 95 or an 100. Yeah, I mean, I I get it. Maybe a win in your is case, you're like a 70. You're okay, because for those who don't <laughs> know, Tim Leonard, the scratch golfer of the show here. So for you, this is like you're writing a, a, a 65 on the scorecard, but it felt like a, a 77 for you. Yeah, I was back out at uh, Tobacco Road the other day oh, where we played recently too, the, and that, place. that middle stretch was was when we were all vibing. <laughs> you, me, and Drew Carter. I was having good memories of that. But oh, I, I I agree. Like a win is a win. That's all well and good, but you know I'm I'm still not satisfied with how the team played tonight. It's going up against a Cornell team that I thought they would have no problem scoring against, and not that they didn't because I guess they end up with 80 points, but the turnovers, well. 16 turnovers, the way that Cornell brought a little bit of physicality on defense. And again, that's just given us fits. The pressure, full court pressure is really troubling to the Syracuse ball handlers, the Syracuse team in general. And I don't know, that's just not how it should be. Like when Cornell out of the Ivy League yeah. comes in, they shouldn't be able to grab 18 offensive rebounds and out physical Syracuse. And it's concerning that at this stage of the season, that's the way it's going. In this game, Syracuse was clearly the more talented team, clearly the bigger team, clearly the stronger team. But Cornell played with more heart. They were more competitive, and they hustled harder than Syracuse. And that's why I think this margin of victory isn't at a satisfactory level for a lot of Syracuse fans when the final horn sounded. It, it, it felt so weird to me. I mean, the carelessness and the sloppiness of this orange team in this game, it, they flashed the, the shooting percentages on the – 
on the game. And I see Syracuse was hovering around 60% at the time that they flashed it. I'm like, how are they shooting 60% right now? And I'm thinking right. to myself, oh, it's because they're turning the ball over all the time and giving Cornell these extra possessions. Now, they settled down a little bit with the turnovers in the second half, but the first half, you coughed it up 11 times, only five times in the second half, which is a more admirable number. But those 11 first half turnovers were killer. And it, it made sense that Syracuse was hovering around 60% and ended up shooting 56% in this game. It's just they weren't getting as many shots off as it may have felt like. Right. And what did we say in the preview podcast? We said the only way that Cornell is going to hang in this game is if they make threes. And that's why they hung in the game despite Syracuse shooting. You see how many threes they shot? Yeah, 46, right? That's, oh, I mean, so that's what the Celtics doing. shot. I don't blame the Celtics them. Celtics shot 42. And like they made four of them, by the way, your Boston Celtics, but yeah, they, they 46 three point attempts in a Syracuse. <laughs> <laughs> um, but 46 three point attempts in a 40 minute game. I mean, my goodness. But it goes back to remember when that Colgate game happened yep. and a lot of people were like, oh, well, that's pretty rare. The teams are going to chuck threes. And Bayheim said after that game, no, teams are probably going to do that against us. And for the most part, that's been right. I know Villanova was probably the highest mark. I think that was up there for some of the most in a Power 5 game in recent memory. But they made 15 threes. And Syracuse is billed as this great shooting team. They come out 0 for 6, 0 for 7, whatever it was out of the gates. And they shoot at six for 20 from three. Cole Swider has a nice game. Yeah, but I do want to talk about him. Yeah, and we'll get to him and we'll get to all the players and we do our grade stuff. But in general, that's concerning to me. And the other thing that's concerning about this team and sort of a trait that you might not have a great team is how quickly they lose leads, right? Like 17-2 again in this game, yeah. like Colgate. And then you look up and it's a ball game. And even in the second half, it was sort of weird how John Bull came in and Barama and then the game got tight somewhat. I mean, not like total jeopardy, but still a little tight. And I don't know. We've seen this time and time again this year. Indiana is one that sticks out, but a lot of times they get a lead and then they sort of let off the gas, even Brown in the last game. Yeah. It's one of those things where, yeah, like you see Syracuse gets out on these 17, three runs against these Ivy league sort of schools. And it feels like, Oh, everything's all cushy. And then it almost feels like mentally they check out. They, they almost become satisfied with what they've built up. Meanwhile, you look across the country at, at some of the teams that are top 25 caliber, when they get that lead to 20 or, or 15, they don't want to just let it settle there. They want to go out and cover a hefty point spread. And I'm not saying like, oh, you got to cover every single game. I'm saying, no, at a certain point, you have to assert your dominance and step on teams' throats. And this is not one of those games where Syracuse did that, even though it should have been, because they were clearly the more talented team. I mean, just watching the, those first couple of shots that Cornell put up, I mean, it took like three seconds to wind up those shots. And that's why you didn't see them get off a ton of shots. Yeah. And you saw all those shot clock violations. It's because they were slow to get those shots. Like, I think of in baseball, like they always talk about the stat, the pop time for a catcher, right? right? How quickly can a catcher get up out of their stance and fire a ball down to second base on a steal attempt? And if, if we're trying to do that, like the release time, and I guess you, you hear that term a lot with the quarterbacks too, but the release time for these Cornell players, it got to the point where it was so slow, it turned into a pump fake at times because <laughs> yeah they, they were like oh crap like there's a guy in my face because it took me two three seconds to wind up and take this shot and they didn't get the shots off 
Yeah, and they still make 15 threes because Syracuse yeah. just isn't that athletic on defense, and they're not closing out that great. And then Symer fouls, and there's an and one three, and Jim Beheim's chewing him out for that yeah. sort of aspect. And what do we talk about, too, is don't let one guy beat you. And Beheim said post game, that's what really drove him nuts is they said that guy, Keller Boothby or whatever his name was, mm-hmm. he was the guy they were like, okay, he can't beat us. And he goes six for 11 from three. And Cornell, by the way, didn't have their leading score in this game. And they still kind of hung with Syracuse. So bottom line for me, Virginia coming in on Saturday, ACC play, and co- ACC play coming. You've got to play better than you did tonight to beat Virginia. I don't think Virginia is some good team, but Virginia is going to guard you tight. And if you're, you know, build as having a great offense, you got to give me more offensively against a Cornell team that's not a good defense. That Virginia Tech put up 93 points on Penn State, 85. They're they're not known for their defense. They don't have size, and Syracuse didn't exploit that on offense tonight. They definitely have some good shot makers, but they're not a great offensive team right now. The way they're passing, the way they're moving, it's not great, yeah. and it should be against a team like Cornell. Yeah, 16 turnovers in this game, 14 assists. And, and again, I don't think Syracuse, from a shooting perspective, they did not play poorly in this game. They played poorly from a take-care-of-the-basketball perspective. And I don't know if guys got satisfied and fat and happy off of the, the win. And even though, listen, like I think you and I are in the same boat here. Despite the fact of how close it got at times, what did Cornell pull within three a couple times? Yeah. I never felt like the outcome was in doubt, right? Like I was never sweating out whether or not, oh, this could be another Colgate game. I didn't feel that way, okay? But it's certainly concerning when you're getting stripped and just the, the pressure and, and making some of these dumb passes to no man's land. That, that's the stuff that should be pissing you off as a Syracuse fan. Result was never in doubt, but the way that you got there, the roadmap along the way was not the designed route. It feels like this should have been how they played out of the pause. And then the Brown, it's like they Mm -hmm. reversed it, right? Because Brown gave me optimism that, all right, maybe they're trending in the right direction before conference play. Maybe they have gotten better defensively and so on and so forth. But now I've sort of lost that optimism. Yeah. I will say this, though, okay? If you need any sort of pick-me-up out of this, this is a team playing two games in three days off of a pause. And you can say, oh, well, they're all rested up and all that stuff. But it's also kind of getting back into basketball shape. That's not something that's done overnight. Two games in three days is not easy on, on college kids. So that, that's the one thing. I'm wondering if they had some tired legs in that, from that game. And, again, I know not everybody played a ton of minutes against Brown. No one played more than 30 minutes. But just something to keep in the back of your minds as well um, if you're looking for some sort of hint of optimism out of this game. All right, this is it. The putt to win the tournament. If you sink it, the championship is yours, but on your backswing, your hat falls over your eyes. Is this how you're running your business? Poor visibility because you're still relying on spreadsheets and outdated finance software. If you want to see the full picture, you need to upgrade to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system to power your growth. And they've got visibility and control of your financials, inventory, HR planning, budgeting, and more. NetSuite is everything you need to grow all in one place. With NetSuite, you can automate your processes and close your books in no time while staying well ahead of your competition. 93% of surveyed businesses increase their visibility and control after upgrading to NetSuite. Over 28,000 businesses already use NetSuite for the new year. 
NetSuite has a new financing program for those who are ready to upgrade at NetSuite.com slash locked. Head to NetSuite.com slash locked for the special one-of-a-kind financing offer on the number one financial system for growing businesses. NetSuite.com slash locked. March Madness is right around the corner. If you want to win your office pool, you need to stay caught up with all the college basketball action with the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Every Monday, Andy Patton and Isaac Shade recap the biggest stories in college basketball, keep you up to date on the NCAA tournament bubble, and get you ready for the upcoming week of games. From the Big East to the Mountain West and everywhere in between, Andy and Isaac have college hoops covered on the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. All right, let's do some non-conference grades for Syracuse. This was a topsy-turvy non-conference for this team. When you look at the roster, guys were missing some time here and there. Obviously, the COVID pause played a factor. And right now, you're just trying to round yourself into form. But let's just go down the roster here. I think we'll go we'll, – we'll split it into two, into two segments here. All right, let's start with Buddy Bayheim. Maybe the most perplexing of the non-conferences because you saw the highest of highs with Bayheim and some of those takeover moments against teams like Indiana. And you also saw games where he was a complete non-factor like Florida State and Villanova. And you think back to that Villanova game, that's a big what-if for this season. If Buddy Bayheim goes out and performs in the Garden – you're, you're talking about maybe a top 10 win for Syracuse, but instead it ends up being a double figure loss. Yeah. He's not playing like an all American. So if those were your expectations going into the season, he's not meeting those, but I will say when I went back and looked at his numbers, I think it is sort of a testament to how well he's developed into a star player and developed into a go-to guy that there have been some complaints about his game because there was a really rough stretch, but overall his numbers are still pretty solid. He's clearly yeah. leading the team in scoring and he's doing some really nice things. And he's had some really nice games as well. He's just seen a lot tougher defensive pressure this year. So I gave him a B plus, which yeah. maybe that's a little high, but I think he's still doing a lot of things offensively that have proved that last year wasn't necessarily a fluke that NCAA tournament stretch. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm right there with you on a B plus. And I think another one of the things that maybe is flying a little bit under the radar is sometimes he is being hounded. Those yeah. assist numbers are a little higher than I expected them to be this year. He's averaging three and a half assists per game this season. That's almost a full assist more than any season he's had as a collegiate player. So he's finding other ways to get involved. Um, but, you know, I, I don't think that that tournament run and that final stretch of games for Buddy at the end of last year was, was any sort of fluke. I, I think that was all legit. And I, I'd expect to see a lot more 20 point games out of Buddy than some of the, the sixes and eights that we may have seen that were a little lackluster. This is another complex guy here. Joe Girard, <laughs> the, the Siena point guard, the Syracuse point guard, wherever <laughs> you want to crown him right now. I, I, let's let's not even grade him on the the A to F scale. Let's grade him on the Syracuse to Siena scale. Like like, wh where did you feel like Joe Girard capped off his non conference? Well, he's got one of those Julie Beheim like half jerseys, right? He's like Siena <laughs> yeah. one day and then he's Syracuse another. I mean, I don't know. Oh, it, I love it. My opinion changes on him 
minute by minute, play by play. And I guess that's his legacy. That's part of his career and what we'll remember him as. He's shooting fantastic this year. And I talked about on the last pod how it's a little much for me when Bayheim is just super effusive with his praise post game and how Joe has played great and he's been great all along and he's a great player for us and he's improved at the top of the zone defensively. And, you know, like he's shooting good, but when you look at the particulars of what you need out of a point guard, he still is struggling in those categories tonight. He still struggles against pressure against Cornell. So I give him a B minus. I just think the turnovers are too high to give him a grade. That's anything too high. Like anything above B minus is tough to give when you look at his turnover rate and he is making some nice plays and he's hit some big shots and he's shooting really well. So I'll give him credit for that. But we need him to be a better point guard going forward. Right. It'd be one thing if Samir was playing lights out as this quote-unquote point guard, right? Because I think that would be something that would be really beneficial if Joe had the opportunity to play off the ball as the two and just worry about his shooting. Then we're talking about like potentially an A grade for Joe Girard because he yeah. is scoring and he wouldn't be making a lot of these turnovers that he has racked up through the course of this season. But I, I'm going to give him a B He's outperformed my expectations so far. The the shooting percentages, I think he's certainly one of those guys who was impacted by not having fans in the stands. We've brought this up a number of times this season. Um, and, and you can tell he gets up for some of these games and he goes out there and puts together some nice performances. I mean, I, I think back to like the Indiana game, he has 22 points. The Florida State game, he has 16 points. And But then the, you, there's these head-scratching performances too, like – Six turnovers against VCU, five turnovers against Cornell. Like those yeah. are the things that you can't have happen. It's highs and lows. You you never get uh let's put it, it's weird though, okay? Because we're giving him a grade of B B minus. He has not played a single B or B minus game this year. No, he's either played an <laughs> A game or like a C or a D game, but yeah. he's never given you that B or B minus performance, it feels like. So there's 93 eligible players in the ACC on Ken Palm that are tracking the turnover rate statistic. He's 90th right now out of 93. 25.4 is his turnover. It's just got to go down. Like that's the, it's hopefully going to correct itself here. And they've gone against some tight pressure and tight competition. But if I'm a team scouting Syracuse, I'm going to continue to pressure because clearly it doesn't really matter what your personnel is. It's working against Syracuse. All right, let's use another coach's son here. The guy, the king of the first bucket. Did you see the stat was tweeted out by Pete Moore, the Syracuse SID? 10 of the 12 games Jimmy Beheim has the first bucket this season. What grade are you giving Jimmy? He's been good. I mean, I'd give him a B plus, I guess. Maybe he could get into the A category. The only thing for me, his defense, I think, has been a little bit of a work in progress. I think he struggled at times preventing guys from getting to the baseline. So... Because he has had some really good offensive games, I'm still pretty high on his overall play. And on the first play of the game, I guess he's like an A++++, but <laughs> yeah. I'll say B+, overall. Yeah, he's like the greatest leadoff hitter of all time, yeah. if you were to do something <laughs> like that. But I I'm going to give Jimmy an A-, minus, and it's solely based off of what my expectations for him were right. heading into this season. He's been a completely different player. He's been a, a much more efficient offensive player than I thought he would be, and He's been a much better scorer than I thought he would be. He's got one game this season where he has not scored in double figures. One game. and That's really me, solid. Yeah. yeah. And we're talking about a guy who didn't play at all last year. He had that full break off. And 
I thought it may be a little bit of a, a step up in competition, but he has shown that, listen, he went through a gauntlet of a non-con and now he's going to go into the ACC. Things might be getting easier for him. Like I always think of it kind of like what my college experience was like from an academic standpoint. I thought high school was much tougher than college was. I don't know how you felt, but I feel like that might be what he kind of goes through now. Like yeah. non-conference was his high school. It was a little bit tougher for him based on some of the opponents he played. Like, sure, there were some easy classes. Sure, you got your PE and and your electives and stuff like that. But mm-hmm. once you got into college, like, and, and sort of focused in on, on what you were, that, to me, made everything a little bit easier. And I think maybe now that he goes up against more of the, the same type of opponents every single night, it might be a little bit easier for him. Yeah, I really like that stat on double-figure scoring because I don't think I would have guessed that at the start of the year. We were sort of talking about him at the start of the year as filling that Marek role, breaking the press, being the facilitator. He's been less like Marek than I've thought, but I don't mean that as a negative. He's just been needed as a scorer a little bit more. He shot it well from three, and he stepped up against some pretty good competition. Like Villanova was one of his better games, and when the team was really struggling, he came through. All right, let's take a quick break and then get to the rest of the team, including Jesse Edwards. I think that's a really important one. And Cole Swider, because Cole had a fantastic game against Cornell. We'll do that in just a second. But thanks again for making Locked On Syracuse your first listen every single day. Make sure to check out that Ultimate College Football Playoff Preview 2021. Local experts, betting advice, and draft analysis. The most comprehensive college football playoff preview is live now so go check that out also want to tell you about betonline.ag because they've got you covered this holiday season with more props odds and lines than ever before as football continues its march through the college bowl season and the pro football playoffs bet online remains your number one spot for all the sports action this season so head on over to their website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50 percent welcome bonus on your first deposit all you got to do is punch in our promo code locked on that's locked on all one word and you will receive that 50 percent welcome bonus from basketball football nhl boxing and ufc Right to your favorite Vegas casino games. Don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for the 2021 season. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite sports. So don't wait to take advantage of all these amazing new offers available. Bet online is where the game starts. Okay, let's dive into these final players here. We'll round out the starting lineup with the man who challenged. Buddy Beheim for the high score against Cornell really put together a great game against the big red. That's Cole Swider. Um, he just came alive. And, and I tweeted at a certain portion of the game when things were getting dicey, things were getting close. Cornell was hanging around by like four. I said, someone needs to step the hell up right yeah. now because everyone looked timid. No one looked like they wanted to take control of the game. And that's sort of when you saw Cole Swider coming in, into his own and really put together a nice performance to close out that game. And he finishes with a a, a, a season-high 21 points. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm a little bit lower, I think, on him. So I I struggled with this. I gave him a C-minus grade, which might be a little harsh given that he is coming off two good games here. But my whole basis for it is we just haven't really seen him step up as the competition level has stepped up. And he struggled against tight defense. I think of that VCU game where I believe he went like two for 14. He had a stretch VCU and Colgate where he didn't make a three in back-to-back games. He was 0 for 11 in those two games. And he's just been a little bit too inconsistent in a role where he really needs to be a consistent guy when he's one of the four key scorers for us. And he's filling big shoes from Quincy Gary and Alan Griffin. Also, his defense has been a 
kind of meh. And then he's rebounding really well defensively. And part of this is just how he plays on offense. He's pulled away from the basket, but his offensive rebounding is pretty much non-existent. So I'd like to see that improve too. I'm going to give him a B minus here. And I think part of it is the fact that when he plays well, Syracuse plays well. Like Syracuse needs Cole Swider if yeah. they want to be a good team. Like I'm just looking right now at his game logs and he has scored in double figures in every single win this season. In the, the five losses, he has logged single figures in three of those games. And that, to me, just kind of tells everything you need to know about what Cole Swider means to this team. If he's going, if he's hot, then he's going to be a very effective player and someone that really can swing games for you. Like, you kind of – I'm not going to say he swung the game for Syracuse, but he put it away for Syracuse in, in this game against Cornell. And they need Cole Swider to be that consistent piece every single game. And I really like what he's done rebounding the basketball. And we've talked to – ad nauseum about how he's had some of his struggles this season but when he is struggling to find the bottom of the net he looks for other ways to impact the game offensively whether it's rebounding whether it's finding a cutter i mean he's had a couple of nice assist performances like early on in the season he had a, a three assist performance against lafayette when he wasn't shooting well and then a four assist performance against drexel when he wasn't shooting the ball well against georgetown he dished out six assists so he's had some of those games where all right it's not my night, so I'm going to try to get other people involved, and I think that's an important thing that you need on your basketball team. Yeah, I just want to see it against some tougher competition. I think it's yeah, encouraging that he's sort of gotten some confidence here in these last two games, but you know, C-minus is a little harsh, but I think we need him to be playing better if Syracuse wants to reach its ceiling. All right, this is the biggest overachiever, no doubt in my mind, Anthony Edwards. He came out, guns a-blazing, had a couple of really strong offensive performances, and I think if you had to ask you and I at the beginning of the season how many double-digit scoring performances would Jesse Edwards have, we would probably be able to give you a number that we could count on one hand. But yeah. he actually has put together a stretch uh, of games where that is larger than one hand and the amount of digits on one hand that uh, – our double figure performances for Jesse Edwards. So what, what grade are you giving Jesse for his performance through the non-con? So again, probably too hard here. I gave him a B plus, And I think that's sort of like I've reevaluated what I think of Jesse as the season has gone on. And just watching tonight in the first half, especially him and Frank, they just need to be a little bit better, a little bit tougher defensively, a little yep. bit more physical. And that's my big thing right now is his defense and his rebounding and that nastiness that we keep harping on. I just, I know it's a tough role playing the anchor part of the zone, but I think it's a little overlooked that he hasn't necessarily taken a step up and defensively, at least he's definitely taken a step up offensively. I do think his defense is a little overrated at times. Like I'm wondering, has he plateaued for the season? Yeah. Like, is this as good as we're going to get? And listen, offensively, like, you'll take that, right? But it's defensively, you want to see that little more nastiness. Rebounding the basketball, you want to see a little bit more. You don't want to see him get the ball taken away from him, from some of these guards of these mid-major teams, these Ivy League teams. So I think based on heading into the season, I don't think you can give him anything other than an A. But – like you said, when you readjust your expectations and when you go right. out and have some of these performances, then once you start to grade on that curve, 
yeah, then it's fair to dip it down to a, a B plus. But I am going to give Jesse an A minus for what he's done. But again, when we're reevaluating in a couple of weeks, if he's doing the same thing and, and still losing some of these rebounds and turning the ball over and some of that stuff, then my readjusted expectations are going to probably drop towards a, a B, B minus maybe if he doesn't show that nastiness and the ability to stay out of foul trouble. Yeah, he he doesn't get the ball enough too. I feel like in a game like tonight against Cornell, not a ton of size, feed him, get him the ball more, make him now that he is an offensive player, let's use him a little bit more. Yeah. Get him a noob. I mean, we saw what that did for Benny Williams early on. And speaking of Benny, let's do him next because I thought defensively he was really strong in this game. Um, He did play 14 minutes in this one. He's, he's gotten some more playing time these last two games, but offensively not a real strong showing. Um, he did have the alley-oop, but that, those were his only points for the evening uh, against Cornell. So this has not been the guy that we were built up to, right? And, and I think you saw s- some little things towards the end, but certainly not enough to justify five-star and all the expectations that w- he was hyped up to be. Yeah, I'll give him a D, which is disappointing, but he has been the biggest disappointment of the season. And this is kind of an interesting exercise doing these grids because it makes you think, all right, well, the stock up guys have been Jesse and Jimmy. Stock down really has been Benny. And I guess Buddy maybe a little for that stretch was kind of stocked down and that hurt them. But in general, Benny's kind of been the only stock down guy. It's just we were talking about him as maybe scoring eight, nine, ten points a game at the start of the year and maybe being a starter. So based on the expectations, it's hard to really give him anything that's even in the C range for me. Yeah, I'm with you. I think D is the the perfect grade to give him. And guess what? I think he'd probably give himself a D, if not even more harsh on himself, because he knows what the expectations were. And he certainly has not lived up to that. We'll see what what sort of playing time he gets once we hit the ACC play. I think he's there were a couple possessions where I was watching him defensively. And I said, all right, I'm just going to lock in, see what Benny does on this possession. He did some really nice things like the the possession where he got the big block the block was just a cherry on top of what he did defensively on that possession like he was moving well he was always in the right spot defensively looked like a high iq player out there defensively and then what do you know he's just in the right place and then him versus a a cornell player he's gonna win that matchup one-on-one at the rim every single time when it's uh he's going up for a block attempt and what do you know lo and behold he comes away with that block and it just felt like the the icing on the cake there but yeah, it has been a disappointment for Benny so far this season. And if he can turn a corner, I'm not not even turn a corner. If he can be a contributor where you're not like, like the fact that I'm hyper-focused on him every single time he's on the floor, that's not something I should have to do. Right. Right? And yeah. we need to start to get to the point where we are watching Benny and it's because he's making splash plays. We're not intently watching him and kind of, hyper-evaluating every single one of his moves. His offense has just really got a long ways to go. His shots got a long ways to go. His confidence and timid, just his whole vibe on offense is a little tentative. And sometimes he doesn't come to the ball enough. Sometimes he's not aggressive enough. It's just, it's going to click at some point, but it's probably not going to click this season is the more I feel like it. And we can go quick on these. I I don't even know if you, put too much thought into Simir or Frank because it's kind of tough to evaluate them. They don't even play that much, but I think it's easier to evaluate Samir than Frank. Let's put it that way. 
Yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah, I, I said Torrance a C, and that's because he's just so limited. Like, he's not going to score yeah. much when he's out there. He does his role very nicely, so maybe you can make an argument that why would I give him a C if he's, you know, doing what he needs to do out there and he's probably an upgrade in the passing and assist column than Gerard and he's a little bit better with pressure. But even tonight, he kind of struggled with that. And oh, then he, yeah, tonight he yeah. really struggled. Yeah. Yeah. And then with that tonight, purse, he, had, he had no idea what he was doing. Right. Which is not good because that's why we need him. That, that's what we need from a guy like him. And the other thing is his free throw shooting, just his shot yeah. in general. And that's why he's limited for 11 from the line this year as a guard that's got to be one of the worst marks in the country I, yeah it's not a ton of free throws but still 36 percent is 36 percent. right I, i'm giving samira a c minus and it's just it almost reminds me of a guard version of pascal chukwu like pascal you know you were going to get a strong effort defensively from him yeah samira i know i'm going to get a strong effort defensively from him but offense, I mean, you can kiss that. You play four on five right there. Yeah, it's just, I don't know. He's never going to get to a point where he's some, and he never finishes at the rim. And, like, he does Missed his couple, role nicely, yeah. but he's so limited that how can you give him more than a C? Right. And, and listen, it'd be one, like, if he was finishing at the rim. That's all he needs to do. He gets there. Like, he yeah. gets there. He's the best ball handler on the team, and it's not even close if he can get to the rim or at least maybe dish off to someone once he gets to the rim, right? Like maybe you got a lot for Jesse there or for Benny or, or something of that nature, right. a little dish to Jimmy. Like, I feel like some of those plays are there, but he almost wants to get his at times. And I feel like that's hurting this team a little bit. Uh, lastly, we'll, we'll hit on Frank. Uh, if I, I'd be fine giving him an incomplete because yeah, me um, too. I don't even at know the what end of the day. Him. Like, you think back to that that Indiana game, and it's like kind of won you that game with how he played in overtime with right. some of those free throws. Georgetown, some good some of the stretches there games. from the first like, half. Yeah, like he has put together some performances. I'm trying to, to come up with the perfect way to put it, but it's like it's almost like a, a minor leaguer who comes up during those September call-ups and just kind of lights the world on fire. Like, yeah, like yeah. he's good when he's out there, I feel like, but the sample size is so small that you can't really acknowledge it and sort of draw it out. Like you still want to see more. You still want to – and again, I don't know if that opportunity is going to be there for him to really get 18 to 20 minutes. Probably not. That's not the end of the world. But if you're getting a solid 12 to 15 minutes out of Frank Anselm night in and night out, listen, he's better than some of the other backup centers we've seen come through this program recently. Yeah. And He's I've better than some of the starting for... centers that we've seen right. come through this program I agree. recently. I, I, when I say this, I preface it by saying pure speculation here, of course. But I wonder, what is he going to think when he does his sort of end-of-the-year meeting? And it sort of stays like, like, is he thinking about the transfer portal, given the minutes he's getting and how Jesse's taking a leap We know up he thought about it last year. We know he did, yep. And he's been pretty open about that. And, like, he's just basically a poor man's Jesse Edwards right now, honestly. Like, he kind of does all the same things that Jesse does. It's just Jesse is a little bit further along in his growth process because he's a little bit older than him. And I don't think Frank is playing poorly or anything, but knowing Jim Beheim's rotation, knowing how he likes to handle things, it's not like he's just going to magically play 30 minutes next year, right? I mean, Frank – or, sorry, yeah. Jesse is going to be in front of him again. 
Right. And it's one of those things where I think Frank might have a higher ceiling, but you're, you're just never going to see it get come to fruition really because of the fact that, all right, the, the order has sort of been established here. And I don't think yeah. you're going to see much of a shuffle at any point, barring some sort of injury. So, all right, that's going to do it for us here on the Locked on Syracuse podcast. We will be back tomorrow, Virginia preview, as we get ready to, to kick off ACC play for the second time because you have that little primer against Virginia. Syracuse looking to go to 2-0 and in the ACC and stay undefeated in the conference. Listen, <laughs> Virginia is not a great team. Syracuse kind of has a nice little soft landing into the conference. This will be an important stretch of games for the Orange. If they can pick off some of these early ones against some pretty inferior competition, that could set them up nicely for a little ACC run. So we will preview the Cavaliers with all you guys tomorrow. Thank you for listening. Thank you for subscribing. If you're not subscribed, be sure to hit us up wherever you get your podcast. That includes YouTube as well. So for Tim and Tyler, we'll preview Virginia with you guys tomorrow. Oh.